Revelation chapter 1. We dealt with that one verse. Actually, we dealt with half of a verse last week. I got in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when a saint gets in the Spirit on the Lord's day, something's going to happen in his life. And I, I do what preachers do. I got all excited about those four ends in that chapter. He said, I was in tribulation. I was in the kingdom of patience. I was even in Patmos. He said, I was in trouble up above my head. But that didn't keep me from being in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I want to finish today, the Lord willing, on what happens when you and I get in the Holy Ghost. When you and I get in the Spirit of God and He leads us, guides us, directs us. What is going to take place in our life? And you say, well, I'm not John, and this is not Patmos. You driving this 5 o'clock Atlanta traffic here, wish to God you lived in the Isle of Patmos. But your name may not be John, and we may not be Patmos. But there's a little phrase in chapter 1 where he says, I am your brother in tribulation. So John said, I'm living in a real world just like you're living in a real world. And I am not minimizing our difficulties, our problems. We all have them. I could share a boatload with you right now. I read the other day where this fellow was going to jump off of a bridge and the policeman said, man, don't do that. He said, well, i got a lot of troubles. He said, well, sit down and talk to me. And they sat down and shared each other's troubles and both of them jumped off of the bridge. We all have it. But John said, in spite of all of that, I got in the Spirit. And when I got in the Spirit, something happened to me. Something got a hold of me. I'm looking over here to my right. By the way, I see visitors nearly, I mean, almost in every section. We're we're glad you're here. And I trust our care team greets you properly. And if they don't, I will and take you out to lunch. We'll go to Crystal's. And, uh, but I'm looking over Brother Dennis, and I'll never forget that night about 30 years ago, we, we had a service, and man, we got in the Spirit of God around here, God met with us, and Dennis is on his way home, and he gets pulled over by the Clayton County Police, actually it was a Jonesboro policeman, pulled him over and said, old man, where you been? He said, I've been to church. He said, you're drunk. He said, I might be, but I got it at church. And he won't know what kind of church he'd been to. He'd had such a good time at church. He was having a hard time getting to the house. Ladies and gentlemen, does anybody remember last Sunday's illustration? You can eat it, a Krispy Kreme, but you got to experience it. How many last week went and got your Krispy Kreme donut just because of the service? I see that. I need some royalties on that. And uh, have you ever gone to the mountains to look at the leaves and the trees? If you go with me, we're going to fly up there. And when we get there, we'll stop and look at it. But you're not going to get a chance to look at much on the way. I'm glad when the Spirit of God comes upon us, something's going to happen. And I want to point out some action words in this chapter. And we'll try to get to it today. Look in Revelation chapter number 1 verse 10 when he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I want you to underline this little action word when he was in the Spirit. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and say this with me, and heard. 
So write down the word heard. You will hear when you get in the Spirit. And by the way, you won't hear from your fellow man. You won't hear from yourself. You won't hear from a gangsaying world. Hallelujah. You'll hear the divine voice of God. And I love the little song in the red book. Jesus spoke to me one day. Praise his holy name. And I'm glad Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. And they know me, and a stranger they will not follow. He said, I heard, I heard when I got in the Spirit. Come down, if you go to verse number 12, I notice this little line. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. So when he heard, the Bible said in verse number 12, when he heard, he said, I turned, I responded. Let me ask you this, aren't you glad when you heard from God, you responded to that? When God spoke to you, aren't you glad you responded to that? Now, nobody ever turns until they hear. But I promise you, when you get in the Spirit of God, you will hear. Now, God takes the initiative in speaking. God makes the first move in speaking, but only you can turn. Only you can respond for yourself to what God has to say. So he said, I heard. He said, and when I heard, I turned. Now notice what he says in the last part of verse number 12. He said, when I turned to see the voice that spake unto me, I turned. He said, underline this, I saw. And verse 13, 14, 15, and 16 gives you an awesome glimpse of the resurrected, glorified King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign of all, preeminent above all, Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, when you get in the Spirit and God speaks to you and you respond to that and you turn You are going to have an encounter, not with a politician, not with a preacher, not with a gospel singer, not with some famous person. You will have an experience. You will see by faith the glory, the splendor, the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will meet thousands of people in your life that may not have an impact upon you. You may meet thousands of people in your life and you don't even remember their name and they barely look familiar to you. But ladies and gentlemen, I promise you this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the sweet Holy Spirit, if you ever meet Jesus, you will never forget him. And if you ever meet Jesus, you'll never be the same. You will never think the same. You will never look at life the same. All things are changed when Jesus passes by. Now notice the unfolding of this in Revelation. Verse 10, he heard. Verse 12, he turned. Verse number 12, he saw. But I want you to come down now to verse number 17. And what happens when we do get in the Spirit? 
And God does speak to us and we turn to God and we see and experience His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the next action word in verse 17. Verse 17, and when I saw him, watch this now, I jumped up and said, hallelujah. Now, number one, there ain't nothing wrong with jumping up and saying hallelujah as long as you live right when your feet hit the ground. And as long as you come back to church and live right, it's okay to jump up and say hallelujah. And I have jumped up and said hallelujah a bunch of times in my life. And I say this, and I mean it. There's three things everybody ought to do before they die. Number one, get saved. Number two, win somebody else to Jesus. And number three, enjoy the fire out of your salvation one time. And just have a fit in God. But notice what always happens when somebody is in the Spirit and they hear from God, and they turn to God, and they experience His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what He said He did in verse 17. And when I saw Him, I fell. I was humbled. I was in awe in His presence. He said, and not only did I fail, but notice how He described it in verse 17. He said, I fell. At his feet as dead. He fell at his feet as a dead man. God, my past life is over. I am totally surrendering all my life to thee. Who I was before this moment is dead to me. And it no longer exists. And I fell at his feet, watch your Bible, as dead. But notice when you respond to God, notice how he responds to you. And he laid his right hand upon me. He never laid his hand on him till he fell. He never failed till he saw him. He never saw him till he turned. He never turned till he heard. He didn't hear till he got in the Spirit. But when he got in the Spirit and he heard and he turned and he saw and he fell, write this one down to the margin of your Bible. Hold on now. He felt. I'm a Baptist preacher and I just said that. And he felt. I am so vexed with hearing people say, God is not interested on how you feel, really. So I guess he wants you to feel mad all the time. I guess he wants you to feel disappointed all the time. I guess he wants you to feel frustrated, here's a good word, discombobulated all the time. You say, what is discombobulated? If you ever watched Georgia Tech play football, that is discombobulated. But God doesn't want us to feel afraid and feel depressed and feel mean. And feel... God does care how you feel. Now, I'm not preaching on substituting faith for feeling. I'm glad we serve God by faith. We're saved by faith. We live by faith, not how we feel. 
But I'm glad every now and then my faith and my feeling get on the same page. I would hate to never feel joy and feel happy. You said, I'm just not a person that feels. Boy, I wished I had some volunteers today. I have an, Brother Tommy, good to see you, buddy. I have an awesome illustration on somebody that says they never feel. And I would bring out the illustration, but I promise you, this I'm preaching to an educated group of people. You, you wouldn't fall for it. But if you don't think you feel, you put your thumb right down there on that pulpit. Let me get a big old roof and hammer. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, hit your nail real. Some of you would speak in tongues for the first time in your life, but it would be awful. I promise you if I hit your thumb with that hammer, you're going to feel. And, and it's just hard for me. Maybe you Bible scholars can, you know, straighten me out. I'm According to people around here, I don't know much about the Bible, so... Maybe you deep theologians can help me, but I just, I just have a hard time getting hold of this, Wesley. If, if I know what it is to feel sick, if I know what it is to feel angry, if I know what it is to feel fear, if I know what it is to feel frustrated, if I know what it feels to be aggravated, if I know what it feels to hurt, if I know what it feels to be mad, I think I can feel God once in a while. Yeah. And he laid his Right hand upon me. You, 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 you'll have a hard time convincing me. John didn't feel that. And he laid his right hand upon me. And after God touched him in verse number 17, God spoke to him again. God spoke to him again after he laid his right hand on him. Watch the text in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me. And, boy, you like, you like it? You like it? Saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. He may have been on the Isle of Patmos. He may have been in deep distress. He may have been in a midst of tribulation. But ladies and gentlemen, when he got in the spirit and he heard the voice and he turned and he saw and he fell, he felt, he experienced, and he never got over it meeting God on Sunday on the Isle of Patmos when he got in the spirit. Let me real quickly just deal with those action words. He said, I heard. I heard. Ladies and gentlemen, God is still speaking today. You said, I just don't believe God is speaking today. You have to have a means in which to hear that speaking. Right now in this room today, there are television waves and radio waves and all kind of waves are flowing in here. And I really hope the only voice you're hearing right now is mine and Jesus's. If you're in a bunch of other kind of voices, either you've lost your mind or your Prozac's wore out or your cell phone is on. 
But right now, there's all kinds of radio and television ways. But the reason why we're not picking it up, we don't have an AM receiver. We don't have the FM receiver. We don't have the satellite receiver. We don't have the Wi-Fi receiver. We can't get those signals if we don't have a receiver. But John had his receiver on and he had his antennas up and he was dialed into the right station. He was dialed into the right channel. He had met the Spirit of God on the Lord's day and he's in tune with God. He's in tune with the Spirit and he's walking in the Spirit and he's living in the Spirit and he's worshiping in the Spirit. And while he is in the Spirit, God speaks to him and he hears the voice of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why in the book of the Revelation, over and over again, John says, to him that hath an ear, let him hear. To him that hath an ear, let him hear. To him that hath an ear, let him hear. I'm telling you today, if you're saved and you're born again and you know the Lord, you have an ear, you have an opportunity, you have a an inside way for God to speak to you. And if you're not saved today, God can give you one called the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and you can hear the voice of God when He speaks to us. And I love the analogy He uses in the text. He said, I heard a voice. And all the things He could have said, He used this, I heard the voice like a trumpet. He heard the trumpet voice of God. Think about a trumpet. It is an instrument that will definitely get your attention. I don't know of anybody that goes to sleep listening to trumpet music. Now, if you can go to sleep listening to trumpet music, you're tired and you're wore out. Most of us that like to listen to music, trying to go to sleep, is. Somebody, you know, delicately, you know, playing a piano or a keyboard or, or some guy doing the three-finger guitar stuff and some little girl plucking on a harp or somebody tooting on a little flute somewhere. But I promise you, if you're laying on that pew trying to take a nap and somebody walks up to you with a trumpet and blows in your ear, you're going to say, whoa, I believe I heard that. I want to say today the voice of God that He speaks to us is not a voice that will put us to sleep. It is not a voice that we lollygag by. It is a voice that gets our attention. It is the voice of the trumpet. It is a powerful voice. It is a voice of authority. It is a voice of power. It is a voice that demands your attention and mine. Ladies and gentlemen, when God speaks, He speaks in power. He speaks in sovereignty. He speaks in authority. And when you hear the voice of God, that demands a reaction and a response. I heard the voice like a trumpet. John said on the Isle of Patmos in the midst of everything going on, God got my attention. And I wonder if there's anybody in this room today remembers when God got your attention. I don't have time to develop this, but the trumpet was used for three ways in the Old Testament. They would sound the trumpet to call the people to worship. They would sound the trumpet to call the people to warfare. They would sound the trumpet to call the people to a wedding 
That's why Paul said, if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, how can we prepare for the battle? I'm glad the voice of God brings you and I into a place of worship. I'm glad the voice of God brings you and I to a place where we strap on the armor of God and battle the world and the flesh and the devil in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad the voice of God brings us into a loving relationship that I am His and, and He is mine. Nobody's the same when God speaks to them. Nobody's the same when God gets their attention. Nobody can remain the same when the trumpet voice of God is blowing and echoing in your soul. I had a man say this to me one time. He said, Pastor, has God ever spoke to you in an audible voice? I said, louder than that. Brother, when God speaks to your heart, it's louder than anybody that has spoken to your ears. And he said, I heard that trumpet voice. Man, I would like to skip over this next point and talk about what it was like when he said, be not afraid. I'd like to speak over this part and preach on what it was like when he laid his right hand on him. And I will get to that between now and the rapture. I would like to skip over this part and preach on that sevenfold vision of the glorified Christ. But he had feet like brass and eyes like fire, hair like wool, eyes of flaming fire, a torch, a pap girded about. I, and I will try to get to all of that. But ladies and gentlemen, there is one little word between being in the spirit and hearing the voice of God. Just seeing the sevenfold glorified Christ, receiving the touch of the glorified Christ, getting the blessing of the glorified Christ. And it's that one little word that will make an eternal difference in the life of every human being. He said, when I got in the spirit, I heard, I heard. But ladies and gentlemen, don't skip over to he saw and he felt and he experienced. No, it all hinges now on John. It hinges on what John is going to do in his sovereignty, in his omniscient sovereignty. God took the initiative. He came to where John was. He took the initiative and got close to where John was. He took the initiative and made the first move. He took the initiative and spoke to John when nobody else could speak to John. But here it is in your Bible, the human responsibility where God does his work and says, now I'm leaving it on your plate. What are you going to do with it? I'm glad when he got in the spirit, I'm glad that he heard. But ladies and gentlemen, he would have never seen the sevenfold glorified Christ. He'd have never, never felt the touch of the right hand of authority. He would never got the peace speaking voice of God when he said, be not afraid. But he did one thing when he got him the spirit. And when he heard, he said, I turned, I turned. I turned. He didn't keep on walking the road to destruction. He didn't keep on going in the same path. He wasn't hell bent to do his own thing. Honey, when God spoke to him and he heard the voice of God, he said, I 
turned. Can I remind you? He never he never would have seen the sevenfold glorified Christ. He'd have never felt the touch of the right hand of authority. He never would have got them words, be not afraid. But he turned, he turned, he turned, he turned. Ladies and gentlemen, the sovereign God of heaven took the initiative that he sent his son to die upon Calvary. When you couldn't go to where he was, he came to where you are. He loved you, but while you was a yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. He left the ivory palaces of glory, and we didn't ask him to. He died upon a cross, and we didn't ask him to. He shed his blood, and we didn't ask him to. He died for us, and we didn't ask him to. He took the initiative. He made the first move. But listen to me this morning. You and I would still be lost and undone, headed to a little or burning hell but when he spoke and when he got a hold of us we didn't shrug it off we didn't keep on going the broad way we turned we turned we turned we responded you say, Brother Joe, it seems like there's a lot of people just hell-bent to live their own life and go away from God. God must not be speaking. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't blame it on the Bible. Don't blame it on the Holy Spirit. Don't blame it on God. God is still speaking. The problem is people have to listen and then turn toward God when He speaks. And when I saw that little word, turn, it started turning over in my soul. And I thought, now wait a minute. Turned. I believe I've read that several times in my Bible. And my mind and my heart went back to the burning bush. Exodus chapter number 3. Moses is on the back side of the desert. At the ripe old age of 80. Just settling down to retire. According to the life of Moses, 80 years old, from then on is the greatest days of your life. I want to say, my name ain't Moses. And yours ain't either. But at the ripe old age of 80, on the back side of the desert, the Bible said, this bush started burning. And the thing about the bush catching on fire was it was not consumed. It wasn't an independent Baptist on fire for God one Sunday and backslid the other days. No, this bush burned and burned and burned. It was not consumed. And Moses could have went on his way kept on doing he was a doing you'd have never heard about a lamb you'd have never heard about an exodus you'd have never heard about a whale in the wilderness you'd never heard about a ten commandments you'll never heard about a tabernacle you'll never heard about a passover lamb all them things that came through the ministry of Moses you and I would have never even heard about but the Bible said that when Moses was on the back side of the desert and that bush began to burn and was not consumed. Your King James Bible said, and Moses 
turned aside to see. And when he turned aside to see, that's when he heard that voice say, Moses, take off your shoes, Bubba, because the ground you're standing is holy ground. And he took off his shoes and he went to that burning bush and he said, God, I've heard about you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wrote about you. I've heard about you. I've heard about you from the Garden of Eden to the star rises in Jacob to Joseph then in the land of Egypt. But God, nobody's ever told me what your name is. What is your name? And it was at the burning bush where God said, I am that I am. I am the God that is. I am the God that always has been. I am the God that always will be. And you know the rest of the story through the blood of the Lamb and the parting of the Red Sea and the brazen serpent in the wilderness and the commandments on the side of Sinai and the bread and the dew in the morning. God did something to this world because a man named Moses, he did more than hear when he heard. He turned and when he turned, he had an experience that changed the life of the whole world. Turned. He turned. He turned. You know what most people have done to 39 years I've pastored this church? Walked in, walked out. Most of you will do that today. Walk in, walk out. And sadly, you'll walk in sometimes in worse shape than you came when you came in. I'll tell you this, if God told your tater patch up about something and you don't get right with the Lord about it, you will leave in worse shape than you were when you came. Most people will come and they'll go. They'll come and they'll go. But every now and then, Somebody will have a God-given sense to do more than come in and go. That ain't the preacher. That's not the deacon board. That's not the sermon. Ooh, I believe God doesn't come up in here somewhere. Oh, you turn to God. You turn to God. That, that, that little word, turn. Boy, I, I, listen to this. Over there in the New Testament, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 9. Paul is bragging on that model church, their labor of love, their work of patience. Man, he's bragging on how they're serving the Lord, that church of Thessalonica. But in chapter 1, in verse 9, listen to this. You know what got them started? God said, Paul, tell them this. He said, when the gospel was preached unto you, you heard the word of the gospel. Watch this line. And you turn from idols. You turn from idols to serve the living and true God. You know what made the difference in the life of the New Testament believers? When they heard the word, they did more than just hear it. They turned from idols to God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what real repentance is. Is when God speaks to a person and draws a person. They turn from their idols. They turn from their sin. They turn from their philosophy. They turn from whatever it is they're trusting. And they turn to Jesus and they make a move toward Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get in the Spirit and God speaks to you, it's your responsibility to turn. And by the way, your experience with God will hinge on whether you turn or not. 
It seemed like there was something else about that turn I hadn't got a hold of yet. And then it hit me. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 in God's recipe for revival. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, seek my face. Can you finish that verse? And turn. And turn. And you said with me, and turn from their wicked way. Then God said, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. But there was still something else there gnawing at my soul. And man, about four o'clock in the morning, it hit me. In the life of Samuel, that man of God that was anointed by the Holy Spirit, Son, he turned, and when he turned, he got the anointing of the Spirit of God in his life that made him a man of God, and it said, and he was turned into another man. You know what God wants to do? God wants to turn us around. God wants to turn us up. God wants to turn us into the mighty, powerful, victorious body of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, when you hear Him, if you will turn, you can get a hold of God and God will get a hold of you, but you got to turn. You can't keep on in your way. You can't keep on in your apathy. You can't keep on in your sin. You can't keep on in your status quo. If you're going to have an experience with God when he speaks, you got to turn. I don't have any time left to develop this next thing. We'll get it later. But when he turned, notice what he said. I saw. I saw. And by the way, he didn't see the old man upstairs. Let me just say, when it comes to talking about the Lord, if that's the best you can do to talk about him, hush. Because you're as close to cussing and blaspheming a sovereign God as you'll ever be in your life. He is not the old man upstairs. Who is he? Look what he saw. Oh, wow. He saw the man. He sees the glorified Christ. He doesn't even see the little baby Jesus in the manger we thank God for at Christmas. He doesn't see the impaled Savior on a cross that we thank God for on Good Friday. He doesn't even see the Savior sitting in a tomb with a stone rolled away like we do the night before Easter. You know the Christ that he sees? Risen, living, sovereign, powerful. Man, I'm going to get into this one day and talk about that gold he saw and that whitest snow that he saw and that wool that he saw and that flame of fire that he saw and the fine brass that he saw and the two-edged sword that he saw. I can sum it up like this. I want to tell you who he saw. He saw the sovereign Christ, the glorified Christ, the preeminent Christ, the all-powerful Christ, the saving Christ, the returning Christ, the reigning Christ, the kingly Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the potentate of heaven, the God of the ages. 
ages, the ancient of days, the beginning and the ending and the first and the last, the one that is altogether lovely and the one that's altogether sovereign and the one that's altogether... Man, I wish I could put it in a song. If I could put it in a song, some of you would shout because that's the only time you shout is when we're singing a song. So somebody put that in a song and somebody may shout on that. He's the Christ, the enthroned Christ, the revelated Christ, the sovereign Christ, the preeminent Christ, the glorified Christ, the one that's in a class all by himself. The one that changes lives. The one that changes nations. The one that changes worlds. When he heard the voice and he turned, he saw. And when he saw him, high, holy, sovereign, omnipotent, preeminent, high and lifted up. He could not stand in his presence. He could not kneel in his presence. He fell at his feet like a dead man. Can I say this today? As long as we stand high and mighty in our religious pride, we'll never feel the touch of God upon our life. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen John's reaction when he turned and he saw? It overwhelmed him. He had seen a lot before this, but he had never got a hold of nothing like this. This is something that changed his whole world. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe he nodded. I don't believe he took him a nap. I don't believe he big. I don't believe he yawned real big. I don't believe he said, "Whoo, wake me up, son." It got a hold of him. It changed his world. And he fell. He didn't kneel. He fell at his feet. Like a man that was dead. The raw presence of God was so overpowered him. Brother, he fell at his feet like a dead man. God humbled him. God brought him down. Ladies and gentlemen, we're too big. We're too haughty. We're too high. We got to get low so God can take us high. And as he's laying there, fallen dead at the feet of the glorified Christ, that's when the glorified Christ comes and lays his Right hand on him. Oh, I sure wish God would touch me today, preacher. Are you listening? Oh, I sure wish God would touch me today, preacher. Are you turning? Oh, I wish God would touch me today. Can you see it? When you hear and you turn, God lets you see. And then you humble yourself and fall. That's when you will feel the right hand of authority upon your life. I have tried to imagine the scenes of the Bible. And sometimes I try to paint a picture in my own mind and yours. But man, I I see John 
He's been boiled in tar. He's been left to die on the Isle of Patmos. He looks like a mess. Been through the backside of torment three ways. But he hears and he turns and he sees. And when he falls, he's laying there like a dead man at the feet of the glorified Christ. But about that time, Jesus walks over there. I wonder what it was like when John felt the hand of the glorified Christ. I wonder what it would have been like. By the way, you do know what kind of hand that was, don't you? You do know whose hand that was, don't you? The one that had put the stars up. The one that had dug out the oceans and traced down the rivers. The one just a few chapters ago had been nailed and impaled to a cross. The one that had raised out of that tomb and said, I'm he that liveth and I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. By the way, the same hand that saved you and the same hand that's holding us and the same hand that leads and guides and directs you and I, it's the hand of power, the hand of help, the hand of sovereignty, the hand of salvation, the hand of peace, the hand of blessing, the hand of joy. God laid his hand upon him. And when he felt the hand of God, he heard the voice of God again. And 89 times in the Bible, from Genesis 15 to the first time to Revelation chapter number 1, the 89th time God says in the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not. You know what I believe the church needs today? A fresh touch of the right hand of God. I was in a place of business yesterday. And this lady said to me, she just walked up to me out of the clear blue. She said, world's in a mess, ain't it, sir? I said, if you knew what I knew about it, you'd say, mm, it's in a big old mess. She said, man, I fear for my grandchildren. She said, I fear for my children's children. What kind of world we live in? She said, sir, I don't even know why I'm talking to you. She said, but every time I watch the news, every time I read the headlines, she said, I am so fearful about the future of my children and their future and the future of our nation. I said, yes, ma'am, it tires me up too because I'm a red-blooded American and I love this country. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And I get tore up about it too. But I said, ma'am, our hope is revival. Our hope is that God can touch the church one more time. So when you and I get all toe up about the cares of this life and we're about to get fearful and crumble, that's when you fall at his feet and feel that right hand and hear that voice. Fear not! He's about to show this old boy the Antichrist. Fear not, 
He's about to see the beast. Fear not. He's about to see the plagues and the vows of the wrath of God poured out upon this world. He's about to see hell open its mouth and throw sinners before the great white throne judgment before they have to go to hell again into the lake of fire. He's about to see the end of the world and the rapture of the church and the return of the Son of God. But he says, fear not, fear not, fear not. I am the first. I am the last. Ladies and gentlemen, when God is our hope and God is our strength and God is our salvation, there is nothing to fear. May God speak. May we turn. And if we turn, we will see. And if we see, we will fall. And if we fall, we will feel and experience the power and the blessings of the resurrected Christ in our hearts and in our lives. Let's stand together.